0: Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path. I'm your host, Victor Pierantoni, and on this special segment of our episodes, we go into our liberated life interviews. And for today's guest, we have Marcus Aurelius Anderson. So first and foremost, Marcus is an amazing dude, and he is a best-selling author, TEDx speaker, keynote speaker, and a coach to CEOs and entrepreneurs. He is also the host of the Acta Nonverba podcast, which means Actions, Not Words. Marcus is a person who truly walks his talk. And in this episode, we talk about the gift of adversity, how to have unconditional gratitude, no bullshit, 360 gratitude for all the things that you love and even the things that have brought pain and suffering into our lives. Because through that gratitude, Marcus was able to actually bring himself back from being completely paralyzed. And it was through gratitude that he was actually able to bring himself back to a place of strength. And it all began with being grateful for even the tiniest things in life. He talks about a lot of ways in which we are able to shift our mindset and conquer even life's toughest challenges by intentionally seeking adversity and by expressing gratitude as a way of life. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you. Let's get into the show. Marcus. it This has been a long time coming for me, man. I've been following you for years. I'm really excited that we we finally get to do this uh, on my show as well. So thank you so much for being on the show, brother. Well, thank you for
1: having me. And thank you for being on Octonumberb as well. That conversation should be releasing next month. And uh, just like you were saying before, having deep conversations is is key, but mm-hmm. being in a place where you know that you can go to Kind of any depth that you want, and have something that's going to be robust and profound. That's what I want.
0: So thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely, man. I know one of the things that initially grabbed my attention with your content was uh, it was it was around the same time that I started seeing the gift in my challenges, and Mm -hmm. your whole message is that is about the gift of adversity. So how did that come into your life? Like how did that knowing and that awareness come into play? Because that for a lot of people, is a tough place to get to where you can actually not just bear the challenge, but actually be grateful for it and call it a gift. So what was the journey getting there? So you mentioned this idea of awareness.
1: And if you're within the sound of our voice right now, you understand and you are aware that diversity is a gift. Mm -hmm. However, awareness and execution are different. That's right. Knowing, knowing the path and walking the path are different. Knowing the truth and actually executing on the truth every day in every capacity is difficult for all of us. And there's days that we do better than others. There's days that we feel. There's days that we feel like hypocrites because we know that there may be more for us. Um, started doing martial arts when I was 11. Started, tried to read meditations when I was 12. Went over my head. Um, but it led me down to Taoism and literally brought me back to Epictetus and then to Marcus Aurelius and Seneca. But for me, um in the martial arts baked into it, the great thing is there's philosophy. Every movement has a purpose. Mm-hmm. If you fail, there's usually a lesson philosophically that you can transpose within that. And that keeps your ego in check. And that keeps you humble. And that keeps you striving for this it's not really about perfection in in zen it's never perfection right it's about this idea of how can I hack away what is inefficient what is not serving me and sometimes that alone is what allows us to really make these big leaps and bounds having said that went through all that did different things in school eventually got into chiropractic school I was about a year and a half away from my doctorate um my grade my great uncle, he was my biggest male role model besides my father. My parents were divorced when I was young. Um, I, I was married at the time. And then I get divorced. And then not long after that, within weeks, my great uncle passes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm taking 25 hours of doctorate level courses. I'm working my face off on the weekends as a server or actually as a bartender and as a bouncer doing security mm-hmm. in Atlanta. And it's like I was doing all that. With this knowledge that I just had to sprint through this last year and a half, then when I'm done, start a family, start my own my first practice, start sort of my community with my hands because that's what we do. Chiropractic literally means to be done by hand. Mm-hmm. But in this life, there's what we hope will happen, there's what we fear will happen, and then there's what actually happens. Mm-hmm. So for me, those the divorce and the the death that was a big one-two punch, and that was something that knocked me on my ass. Yeah. But it was only in the beginning. So in chiropractic school I talked to them and I said what if I join the military? And they were like if you join and you go active we'll pause your degree right here. Nothing will change. You can literally come back right where you are now. I'm like perfect. Go talk to the recruiter. My great uncle was in Vietnam he was in special forces. He was on ranger constance patrols. Mm-hmm. Um and he was always the person that really taught me the importance of he's the first one to teach me about firearms, teach me the importance of respecting the firearms, of hunting, of, of having humility, of this mentality of this, this pistol is a shield, it's not a sword. Mm-hmm. These kind of wow. ideals that really influence, right. And this is yeah. a man who's been through so much significant adversity. Um, when he passed, I get the call in Atlanta from my father and he said, Uncle Ronnie is sick, come home. I get on the next flight and by the time i get there he's already gone so show up and i'm i try to be as stoic as i can during the the ceremony i'm the lead pallbearer and i'm good until they start to fold the flag Mm -hmm. because this is the an entire all the regalia this is a fulberg colonel eulogizing him man after man coming to this podium talking about what he did acts of valor in combat And I was very proud, but then when they started folding the flag and they started to play taps Mm -hmm. and the color guard takes that right turn and they come towards my great aunt, the widow, and I'm right next to her. And they said, thank you for your sacrifice. We're sorry for your loss. Mm -hmm. I just lose it. Mm -hmm. I understand that that's a, I'm never going to see this man again, this man who had such a profound impact on me. And it made me realize I'd always wanted to join the military. And for all of us, there's always something that we wish we had done. Yeah. And that was the thing. I always had an excuse. Well, I'm in school. Well, my
0: wife doesn't want me to do it. Well, this, well, that. I'm out of excuses No, This is my all, all the things that were in in your way there were suddenly not present in your reality. That's it. Or they weren't. We I realized how much of a bullshit answer they were.
2: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> to just to justify my inactivity. Mm-hmm. So I go to talk to a recruiter and I say, What's the 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 age to get? And they say 35. I'm 38, so I go to turn on my heel, and he said, well, come back and talk to me. How old are you? And I'm pretty direct, and I was like, Sergeant, with all due respect, if this is not going to work, don't waste my time. He asked me about my motivation to join, and I explained to him what I explained to you. And he said, well, are you smart? And I say, well, I, I'm talking to a recruiter at 38. Do I sound smart to you, Sergeant? But what he was meaning was, how would I do on an ASVAB placement test? well, I already have a degree in human biology. I'm at a doctorate level course, trying to get better, learning all these things that a, as a, as a chiropractor at that time, you were having to learn what MDs did as well as nutrition, as well as physical therapy, as well as the philosophy, as well as the adjusting. So mm-hmm. we were very multifaceted and it was important to have that kind of mentality. So when I took that, I did really well on it. And then he asked me, you know, how many pushups can you do? I was like, I don't know. I don't do pushups for fun. I did a mock PT test there and I, yeah. I maxed that out for my age group, so, you yeah. know, good test scores, great test scores and, and great PT. He was like, actually you're exactly what the army wants. And the great thing about the army is if you have like this, these kind of skills and these sort of scores, you can literally choose whatever MOS, whatever job you want. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you already have an degree. We can put you through OCS, which is option of Canada school. And I was like, no, 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 no. i I already know what i want to do he's like great what do you want to do and i was like infantry and he literally laughs in my face (laughs) and not for a short amount of time Mm -hmm. and he can see the look on my face that i'm not laughing and he's like anderson you don't get it you can do whatever you want in the army and i said sergeant you don't get it if i don't get this then i'm gonna walk and he tries to explain to me that i could get you know i could be an officer i could get the security job i could get all this training on the army's dime i could get the top secret clearance i could get all this stuff mm-hmm. do my four years and then walk into this civilian sector and have this this job and all this stuff kind of set up i was like i don't want to do that and i explained to him about my great uncle and i said listen if i went to officer candidate school would i be An officer in the infantry and he's like actually no that's like the top 0.3 percent in the infantry in the military that get to that position and he said and there would be a lot of things that would have to happen for you to get there and i said okay my great uncle was a a master i mean like he was the the very top as Mm -hmm. in the enlisted and i said well i could just go enlisted right and he goes you want to enter the infantry at 38 years old Mm -hmm. enlisted go through infantry school go through basic go through boot camp go through airborne And then just go with the unit. And I said, would that give me the opportunity to go to ranger school to to drop an SF packet and all these things? He said, well, yeah, that'd be your best shot. And I was like, let's do it. Hmm. We go back and forth for about half an hour. And finally he was just like, got the, (laughs) got the waiver and slid it over. He's like, Hey man, it's your life. And he's like, uh, and he said, I'll see you tomorrow morning for Meps, which is military and processing. Hmm. And it's an all day process. And he's like, Hell, you'll probably go to MEPS tomorrow. And they'll find some reason to let you, not let you in anyway because you're so old, you know, busting my chops. And I was like, okay. And uh, six months later, I'm in infantry school and in forbidding, getting yelled at by guys younger than me, competing mm-hmm. against guys that are half my age. Mm-hmm. But we have to put ourselves in situations continually where we don't have an option of bitching out essentially. Mm-hmm. So when there's no other choice, the choice is simple. So once i signed that contract no matter what else happened in my life in six months i have to be at that place i have to have all this stuff done and now i'm completely committed there's one level of commitment total right Mm -hmm. So for me once i'm there once i'm getting yelled at and once it's the first and it's four months for, for what we did we went through it was basics but actually basic is built into infantry school built into advanced individualized training all this other stuff and in that place, you understand the dichotomy of control and the fact that in this moment, I voluntarily chose to not have any control. Every moment of my life in those four months was dictated by the military, my drill sergeants, whatever it was. So if that meant that we went to bed at one in the morning and we were woke up at three in the morning with a, a fire drill and we just had to go outside and just happened to have to do burpees for an hour, then
0: so be it. Mm-hmm. That's that's really fascinating the, the the idea of putting yourself in a position like that purposely, and it it relates to this idea that I talk about quite a bit with with clients as as well as talk about with myself in reflection, which is in life there will be challenges. Like there's no doubt about that. It's going it's inevitable. So there's a but there's very a very big difference between you deliberately, intentionally choosing your challenges versus life choosing them for you and kind of like spinning that, the wheel of fortune, <laughs> like which, which one are you going to get? So it, it's actually advantageous for our growth to ve- be very intentional and choose a challenge that resonates with what I like to call the soul's desire. So I, I've recently been talking about this idea between soul desire and mind desire. And mind desire is the desire that all these philosophies typically will tell you is bad. It's like, don't do that because mind desire is like putting us in some like fantasy of reality or some concept of reality rather than being present in the now. And the soul's desire is when that intuition speaks to you and says like, this is what we're doing. And there's no other reason besides this is what we're doing. (laughs) And because you just feel it in every nerve cell of your, of your being that this is where we need to be. And it it takes a lot of courage to make decisions like that because your mind is going to give you every reason why not to, right? The, the sergeant was telling you, he's like, he's like, no, he's like, you could do this and you could have this very easy way of, you know, participating and have all the things. And you're like, no, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> so it's a very different
1: mentality. It, it It's absolutely like that. And adversity offers us that opportunity at the beginning and then right when we're almost to the goal. Mm. it offers you some contingency to not commit at the beginning. And then right when you're almost there, it will say, Hey, you've already done enough. Mm. Hey, haven't you already learned enough about yourself? Hey, you're in pain right now. Why don't you just, you're almost, nobody expects you to get this far. You're doing great. You can stop right now and hang your head high. And I guarantee if you do that, you will know one that you're lying to yourself 2 you. Also, I don't want to say regret, but you'll understand That you gave up you capitulated unnecessarily Mm -hmm. and adversity will continue asking you time and time again do you want this Mm -hmm. how about now how about now and it'll click things up and it could be financial it could be emotional it could be physical Mm -hmm. but the reality is like you were saying we have to choose the adversity that we want or or it will choose us Mm -hmm. and in this life you either choose what you want or somebody or something will choose for you And that decision is never going to be in your best interest or make you into the person that you want to become the most Mm. yes so you have to take that idea and say i'm going to step boldly towards this um i may not know exactly where i'm going but at least i have a direction Mm. and and the path before us if the path before you is like easily mapped is probably not your path that's right maybe somebody (laughs) it may be somebody else's path that they've already been down and that's fine yeah, so in infantry school, in infantry school, that was what I learned. It was like, I have to just give myself to these people. I don't fight. I don't say, why are we doing this? I don't say, this is stupid. I don't say, we haven't gotten any sleep. I don't say any of that stuff because it's not going to serve me. Mm-hmm. And this is in 2011, back when the infantry was still um, challenging, yes. shall we say, <laughs> where they were still trying to break off a certain percent of you so that you couldn't get through. Mm-hmm. Um, got through that. After the first two weeks, I realized that my body wasn't going to let me down, and the advantage that I had was I was a 38-year-old man competing against 19-year-old young men who had not really experienced as much. So that gave me a a distinct advantage in some of those capacities. I got to my station. I got stationed in upstate New York with 10th Mountain Light Infantry. Um, Those of you that have heard of Operation Anaconda or um, Black Hawk Down, that was the group that was involved in some of those battles. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't with I wasn't with them at the time, obviously, but in all the infantry units, there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of history, and they very much love that. So if you're a Ranger, you're told Rangers. If you're Green you're told Green brave, if you're a seal. It's about the seals. But the reality is that anybody that is in these sort of positions, they all end up getting thrust into situations where the odds are going to be against you, and you're going to be outmanned and outgunned, and you're not going to have support. And in that moment, you still have to make the the courageous decision of the warrior and choose what am I going to do in this moment?
0: yeah, yeah, that's so, it, it's it's very true. I one thing that this reminds me of in some ways, it's not nearly as intense a, a decision that was made. still faced a lot of uncertainty in making the decision. But I remember, like you were just saying, when the path is laid out before you and you're just kind of given the path on the silver platter, it's typically not in your highest good because it's not causing you to actually get to know yourself through the facing of challenges, through the the facing of the great unknown, like going into the void or the abyss of your decision. And for me, it was, you know, my family, they have this electronics company up in Canada and My grandfather basically was like, Hey, you know, like come work here, you go to school here and work your way up. And eventually one day you take over the company. And I remember like two weeks into that, I was like, I've made a terrible mistake. Like I fucking hate it here. And I decided like through that, what what was interesting is that is actually where the awakening happened for me in terms of like, this is not what I want to do and actually did... start to have the inception of what i did want to do because the saving grace that i had in that company was i had this little green ipod that had one book on it I had the four agreements and that book helped me set myself free interper- like personally within myself around like taking things personally and being impeccable with my word being very intentional with how i spoke to myself and others not making assumptions and always doing my best and i remember in doing that i figured out like okay. What I'm meant to do is with people. It's not like building and tinkering with things. And then I started helping out friends. And then eventually, like I figured out that this was my thing. Like, so I remember I showed my grandfather a video of Tony Robbins. I'm like, I'm gonna do that. (laughs) And I like I and he's looking at it and he looks at me and he goes, If you think you're gonna do that, he's like, You're fucking dreaming. It's like you need to be born with skill and talent to do that. And you don't have that. And I just looked at him and I'm like, thank you. Cause now I'm going to be one of the best in the world at this. And that was a very uncertain, unpaved path, especially for someone like myself who didn't have any of the experience to be saying the things that I was saying to him in that moment. Yet right. there was this knowing, very similar to like, I'm sure the knowing that you had in that moment that this is what I'm doing. And that's it. Like, this is what. I I feel called to be, and there's this almost like this harmony that takes place within you where you feel like right place, right time, everything happening right now, all at once. And you know, in those moments of decision, those are, are what are going to shape your life. And like you said, if you don't decide life, someone else, circumstances, events will decide for you. And then you can deal with that adversity, but that adversity is one in which that is not nearly as rewarding, not at first, at least, because I feel like we've all made mistakes in that way, but much better to intentionally call upon your own adversity, your own challenge, your own crucible, if you will, rather than allowing the outside world to choose it for you.
1: That's it. And the reality is there are two ways to deal with adversity Mm -hmm. correctly and
0: again. (laughs) <laughs> correctly and again I like that <laughs>
1: and, and so like you're saying if I am going to have to deal with this adversity one can I do it correctly which means can I face it can I not try to circumvent it can I not try to get around it or screw around it and then can I also understand which adversity to choose mm-hmm. and that for some people they can do one and not the other Maybe they can choose one but they can't stay committed maybe they choose the wrong one but they stay committed because they're hard-headed mm-hmm. and that's where this dichotomy this is where this very in very stoic, very fluid capacity. People talk about balance. And in my experience, balance doesn't exist, but the capacity to adapt does. Mm -hmm. So it's about being able to move, being able to adapt quickly, just like a surfer. There is balance, but it's this dynamic movement, dynamic Mm -hmm. tension to be able to see what's happening. And when you get to this place where you have a technical prowess, now you turn that off and now you're just there. Yes, and now you're just moving and now you're just smooth and now you're just connected so now instead of feeling like oh I see this wave coming it's like no you just your body does it or fighting I see the opening and I'm already my hand or whatever is already happening Mm -hmm. and I'm already taking that opening Yes, and now I'm already two or three steps in front of this person and Mm -hmm. that gives me the capacity to survive or protect somebody else that's what we do all that's what martial arts are about the idea is this martial warlike art understanding that there's more to it than simply the capacity to do somebody in yeah. that all these things are, are built within it that kind of samurai multifaceted ideal yeah. so being at 10th mountain that's the most deployed in the history of the military at that time mm-hmm. so as soon as i get there they say get ready we're, we're deploying in three months so i thought the infantry school was tough but then when i get there and all of a sudden i'm around all these tough ncos that have been airborne some of them are x rangers some of them are x sf and they are in there and they're training us like training our guts out pushing us making us do more than we ever thought was possible again i i could just take my hand off the wheel and trust in these things yes i had a lot of knowledge and experience in different things i have different black belts and certifications but that is not war that is not tactics that's not an l-shaped ambush that's not responding to what happens if we're in this position Hmm. and so i was just a sponge and then so being older and being in shape and then having some intelligence allowed me to have the ability to step back, ask the right questions, do what I'm supposed to do, be squared away, mm-hmm. get myself in this position where now I'm an asset to the team instead of a detriment. Mm-hmm. And uh, my first team leader, he was like 22. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, "You know, what, do you, what is your expectation of being on this team? And I said, my expectation is to make your job easy. Mm-hmm. To, to max out my pt test to make all of my like anytime i qualify with a weapon i should be hitting in the top 10 percentile all these things and you could just see like the look of relief on this guy's face because he didn't and that's what he asked me he's like i'm 22 you're 38 year old not to be my dad can you take orders from me and i was like absolutely because you know more than i do mm-hmm. and so like he was asking me these hard questions because he was like i've got to be in charge of this guy is he going to be messed up or is he going to be and that's what allowed me to really just open everything up and say, I don't know anything. I imagine that I don't know anything, and when I do that, it allows me to learn everything. Yes, so it allows me to get that to beginner's that quickly. mind quickly. <laughs> yeah, that beginner's mind, absolutely. Yeah. And then I saw, as I went through the same kind of idea of some of this doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. I, uh, there's a, an analogy that they say is that um. If your enemy doesn't know what they're doing, it's impossible for you to anticipate their next action. (laughs) So being able to thrive in chaos, being used to that sort of environment, understanding that there are so many things out of my control. So again, what can I control? My hydration or how much I'm focusing on this shot or how fast I'm trying to run for this next flanking movement, whatever it is. These are the things that allow
0: us to let go of the stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah, and I, I really agree with that. Completely. Oh yeah, yeah. For for myself, a lot of what you're talking about, especially in being able to uh, rest on not not necessarily rest, but trust in your skills to come through after you've you've trained them and you've built up that that repertoire of skill sets and and different things. And I think what's really interesting is for me, I started understanding that recently, and I'm very curious to to hear what you have to say about this because you're a martial artist as well. But I've been doing jujitsu now for about six years on. Like I had done grass nice. past, took like a five-year break and then came back at 25 and I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I've been going. Yes. Awesome. And one thing that I, re- I just realized like maybe a month, month and a half ago is one of the ways to regulate myself, my nervous system, and also put myself into a flow state almost immediately is just... Concentrate on nasal breathing. It's like one thing that I can control, but it's the most basic thing that I can control. And upon breathing through my nose only while grappling, I stop thinking about any moves I'm going to do, any setups I'm going to do, and I actually just become present to what is actually happening. And so if there's chaos, I, without thinking about it, I see it and I feel it and I know exactly where to go. Like there's just this knowing that just moves me into the right position. And I've never had an experience like that of being able to actually like deliberately create a flow state just through breath. So I'm very curious, like what is your what are your thoughts on that? Because martial arts, breath is everything <laughs> like when it comes to technique. Like if you don't breathe, you die, <laughs> essentially. Absolutely. And like you said, when you have a big guy that's trying
1: to do neon belly and you're like, I, I can't belly breathe at this point. I have to nasal breathe. I have to be able to adapt. It's it's everything. I nasal breathe during just about everything. Um. Even when I run, even when I did David Goggins 4x4x48 challenge, nasal breathing is the thing that allowed me to continue running four miles every four hours for 48 hours. And I did it fasted. Mm. I did wow. it just on water and breath. Wow. And I was I was doing it to raise money. Mm-hmm. But the thing that got people's attention was not eating. Mm-hmm. And when they would see me running, they were like, you're breathing through your nose. It's like, yeah. I'm like, why aren't you breathing through your mouth? And I said, well, think about it. think about what the mouth is designed to do think about what the nose is designed to do think about what this is doing to the regulation and even with a ruck march you know if i breathe through my nose it helps everything it helps me get very specific if you're getting ready to get into a cold bath i mean an ice bath or a cold shower you can regulate that breathing through your your nasal breathing so there's it's all there Mm -hmm. but the most important thing is just like you were saying that awareness of what's happening right now in this moment Mm -hmm. and now this moment And now this moment, so in jujitsu, if you get the takedown and now you're trying to get to side control and I'm trying to shrimp and Mm -hmm. I'm putting my arm out, I don't need to be worried about the fact that, man, he got the takedown. That's that's done. That's already, that's- That already happened. That's (laughs) that's already happened. We're here now. (laughs) We're here now. And if I'm not trying to actually shrimp or bridge or stack or create a frame and now get myself into guard or take her back, now I'm stuck. Mm. And now all of a sudden you have a better position. Now you've got half guard. Now you've got neon belly. Now you're transitioning. And I'm like, shit! How did I get here? It doesn't. That's a dumb question because it Mm -hmm. doesn't help me now. Right. I rolled my belly. You get the choke. And the move that I, the mistake I made was three moves ago. Mm -hmm. So lots of times in our lives, people are thinking three moves ago. Mm. That relationship, that diet choice, that lack of exercise, the way I'm using my free time. They're thinking about those moves from three three moves ago and that's not helping them because we're here now correct so this radical acceptance is key um and that's where adversity is it's a brutal teacher but it's, it's powerful because it strips away all the bullshit that you're not it burns away all of your ideas that you think that you have with yourself because when you're in the face of it when you're in something difficult physical emotional spiritual financial you don't have enough energy to put to keep up the sides that's right you just don't you're too fatigued you don't have the resources to do it and now you're just kind of there and that's when you learn who the fuck you you are that's right and that's the person you should be talking to every single moment of your day because Mm -hmm. that's the person that will listen and that's also the person who's going to actually take whatever it is that we're doing with that dialogue and applying it in a way that either helps us get closer to our goal
0: or brings us further away from it and that's the reality those performances that we put on, those facades, like you're saying, they're the heaviest thing that we could be carrying around. Right. Cause there's layers upon layers of incongruency that you have to carry and breaks in integrity, which weigh weigh you down, weigh you down emotionally, weigh you down mentally, spiritually. So it's it's wonderful how adversity will come in and strip that away from you because you don't have you no longer have the energy to even hold it up. So you gotta be real with yourself. And the moment that you be real with with yourself is that. It's that first moment of freedom from everything, all the stories that you've told yourself that are disempowering. I really like one thing that you said there around the question of like asking about why, like why I messed up three moves ago kind of thing. It's like when our questions are so, so, so important in the way that we talk to ourselves, the way that we ask them. And I always share this with clients that when they bring a challenge, like it actually says it in my uh, pre-call form. Anytime I'm going to do a call with clients to say like, What challenges have you experienced, if any? And when you write them down, write them down as a question. The reason why I say that is because when people say things as statements, they convince their brain into thinking whatever they've just said is a fact. Whereas when they ask a question, now there's an opening. There's a new possibility of what could be. And I also take that a step further is that when we ask questions, the truth is we don't really care to know why we fucked up. It just seems like the default. The real question that you want to be asking is, "What can I do now to get to X outcome?" or "What can I like? How do I get to desired state of being?" rather than "How did I mess up?" or "How did I fuck up?" or any of these things. So, I think it's fascinating for for you. What are what are some questions that you ask yourself in moments of challenge, or questions that you ask yourself to essentially reinvigorate a state of energy if you if you're going through something tough.
1: So there's different
0: places that we start with this.
1: Um, the big one is, first of all, when I'm going through this challenge, we can ask the enlightened idea of what is this teaching me? What light is this shining a weakness on? What oh. chink of my armor is this snagging? And those are the, the powers, right? So that's a way to look at it from an empowered standpoint. But you also have to say, okay, is this going to stop me from moving where I need to go? That's, that's the question that I try to ask. We have these compelling whys and we can dig deep. But what I have found is if I'm trying to do it for somebody outside of me, my my wife, my daughter, um, my team, my company, um, a charity, those things are low-hanging fruit. And when the pressure really comes, those things vaporize. Mm-hmm. So now I have to say what's important here. So instead of asking why, ask who. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck are you? Remind yourself who the fuck you are. And why you're doing this in the first place? And sometimes that may that why may be as simple as saying, "Because I am impeccable with my word." Mm -hmm. Because I'm choosing to do this thing. Because everybody else would be quitting at this point. Mm -hmm. There's also this idea of saying, "This is redemption." Think Mm -hmm. about all the other times in your life when you would quit at this point Mm -hmm. or before this point, or you would come up with some bullshit capitulation. Mm-hmm. And then tell yourself, you know what, if I just keep going two or three more steps, I'll be beyond that. Mm-hmm. And I'll be in a place that we have to ask, how do I want to feel when I get through this adversity? Because the adversity passes. It does. It doesn't seem like it happens quickly enough. It feels like it's elongated. But oftentimes, we make it more difficult than what it needs to be. Every stoic talks about this idea of, you know, all this stuff. That's the, the truth. Yeah, It's like, if I have to do a 25-mile ruck march with 100 pounds on my back, which is what I talk about in my book, like the, the opening chapter, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It, it was brutal. And you're doing it in the negative 20 degrees and it's on ice and it's, why are we doing this? Like nobody else is even out, but we're the infantry. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be able to be dropped out of an airplane, 20 clicks away from a target. We should be able to run quietly and assault to that target. And that's just to get there. <laughs> you haven't even started the battle. That's just the preemptive. Just to get to the battle. <laughs> get to the battle, right? So you have to have the conditioning and the mentality and the mindset and the resilience to say, now that we're here, now we're going to destroy the enemy. Mm-hmm. That's what we have to think. But oftentimes, if I'm worried about clicking my line on before I even jump out of there, mm-hmm. man, it's it's too late. Like all that stuff needs to be kind of built into us. The other thing is in my TEDx talk, I talk about this and I'll lead it back and to answer your question. So when I'm at Tenth Mountain in 2012, I rupture a disc of my neck, mm. and I'm and I'm paralyzed from the neck down. And I'm told, so I flatline on the table when they send me to the hospital. And they say the good news is you get to live to tell the tale. The bad news is this is what you're going to be left with. You're going to be like this, paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of your life. Mm. And two days later, I turn 40. Mm so i've put all of my belief into this one basket this one singular path with everything that i have and i'm like now what the hell do i do it's like and i went through the five stages i was very angry mm-hmm. i was in denial i thought i could walk it off <clears throat> and being in that place is disempowering it's a victim mentality so being in that place and just Understanding this is what's happening. I can't just let this go away. I was thinking within the first, because I was in the ICU for a week recovering, I was like, well, you know, maybe tomorrow or maybe later on today or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then as it continued and they got me and they brought me back to the base, it was like, oh shit, like this is real Mm -hmm. and this is what, what my life is. And then I was like, why the fuck is this happening to me? I'm a good person. Like, why is the universe or God or whatever you believe in doing this to me? How did I pull this in? And it's like, man, the only meaning that adversity has is the meaning that you assign to it. Mm. Yeah. But it's almost impossible to see the gift of adversity while you were in the heat of that adversity. Correct. You have to process it. You have to go through it. You have to get beyond it, and have enough hindsight to be able to look at it to where you feel safe enough to process. Mm-hmm. And many people either don't get to that point. If you would have seen me in the bed, if you'd have walked in and said, "Hey, Marcus," ever sees a gift when I'm paralyzed. Like I would have called you every name in the book and spit on you because I couldn't actually throw a punch mm-hmm. because in that moment it's impossible for me to see it. And even at 40, like I had read all these books, mm-hmm. all this philosophy. I understood all this stuff. I could regurgitate quotes from other people and I could take this paraphrase and I could plug it into a an idea or a Stoke idea or a Taoist idea or any of this stuff. I could absolutely do that. But that doesn't help me when I'm the guy in the bed. Right. All these words send, just sound like flowery bullshit. When you're the guy that's there, and it's like, this is my life, and it's like, if it's endurable, then endure it. And stop complaining. It's like, well, fuck you. You're not the guy here. Yeah, you're this not isn't the one of Right. Yeah, you don't have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And I had been athletic my entire life. That was something that I just, in some ways, took for granted. Mm-hmm. And now I can't even. I have to have it. I would have to have a, a caregiver for the rest of my life. Mm. So I'm completely dependent on somebody else. Being in that place, it makes you reevaluate everything, and it makes you question everything. Again, you're thinking three moves behind. Mm -hmm. But being in that place forced me to, and I was in that place for four months. And being in that place and being forced to sit with it, for all of us, the biggest wisdom that we can gain from ourselves is through adversity. And if we have the courage to stay in it, that's when we learn. For most of us, we're like a child that touches a hot stove and we want to get away from it. Mm-hmm. But when we do that, we lose the opportunity. So if you can examine, if you can be courageous enough to examine the wound while it's open. And for me, I wasn't courageous, but I didn't have any other choice. I had to sit with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have no point choice but to, to literally sit with it. Literally, lay with it. So yes. they would come in and they would turn on like Netflix and eventually I was like, just turn it off and just turn the lights off. Just let me have this time. Mm-hmm. and they eventually let me do that. And I went through anger, denial, you know, all this stuff, regret. Finally, I get to through depression and into acceptance, and I was like, okay, no bullshit. If this is what it is, and it is, what does my life look like? What can I do? What can I control? Again, breath, right? Going from sympathetic to parasympathetic, breathing. I was doing nasal breathing. I was doing parachute breathing. I was doing box breathing. I was doing all these kind of things. And all of a sudden, it gave me the capacity to control something. Mm. Going from breathing, going to box breathing, going to extended holds, going into just nasal breathing, all these kind of things. And now, even though I couldn't do anything else, that was something. And that was something that I was able to control. I wasn't a victim to this thing. I wasn't a reactionary kind of ideal to this thing outside of me. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not on a phone. I'm not on social media. I can't do any of that stuff, right? Right. So this was the time when it allowed me to unpack everything from the trauma of what I just went through. And I want to address trauma. We all all will have some sort of trauma, but just because somebody doesn't do what we want does not mean it's a trauma. Mm -hmm. Just because life doesn't go as we want it to go, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a trauma. Mm -hmm. I thought about the trauma of my injury, of my divorce, all the way back to my parents' divorce as a Mm -hmm. young man. And looked at all these things like this long string with little knots in all these areas that were important Mm -hmm. and then i started trying to figure out okay i'm here now so we both love steve pressfield the war of art Love that book (laughs) and um i've had steve on my show a few times he's (laughs) written (laughs) uh, i get to have lunch a brunch with him when i was in los angeles last time Mm And that for me was like the full circle of he's the one that inspired me to write the book, The Gift of Adversity. He's His idea of resistance, right the, the capital R, this force that stops us from trying to do great things. I felt that what I was doing in my bed was resistance, this hardship. But I realized that what I was facing was greater than resistance. It was this more adversarial form of resistance. And that's why I capitalized adversity in the same way that he capitalizes resistance. But what I realized was the way that I was dealing with resistance, which for those of you that are not familiar, first of all, go buy Steve's book, The War of Art is amazing. And if you're an artist, an author, a creator, anything, it will give you insights. But resistance resistance is procrastination. Resistance is bullshit excuses. Resistance is anything that stops you from actually endeavoring to be better. Mm -hmm. I realized the reason I was facing the adversity that I was in my life, at least the way I, I framed it, was because i had tried to avoid resistance for so long so resistance that is avoided is adversity faced. wow and that's what it, it felt like for me so i'm like okay it's here i cannot get away from this thing mm-hmm. i also knew that all the anger that i have was going to destroy me like corrode me from the inside for me i had to find something to counteract that, and for most people the opposite of of anger is love, but, but honestly, I didn't have a lot of that around me. Mm. I was pretty isolated, so for me, I had to do the the next best thing, which is genuine three hundred and sixty no bullshit gratitude. Oh yeah, unconditional gratitude for everything, and, <laughs> like for everything, and it's very easy to talk about it. And we we yeah. all you know we write about it or we we say that we're grateful, but I've noticed that most people that are doing it are. It's either they write down the things that they, they already like, and they're grateful for those things, almost like a child with a Christmas list, or the more detrimental form is this gaslighting
0: where we feel like we need to be grateful. And that's I actually- Pulling just- yourself into gratitude, which is not genuine gratitude at all. <laughs> no, it's glorified guilt.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's- what does it do? It muddies the waters. Hmm. So how many people do we know? How many CEOs do we know that build this multi-million dollar company and it's huge and they're crushing it? That's what they've always wanted. And then they get it. And now they're like, because they have this detachment, they can't tell, should I feel grateful for this? I mean, I absolutely should feel grateful. But they feel like they don't deserve it. Or they feel like it's not real. or it's not as fulfilling as they thought that it would be. Or mm-hmm. that it doesn't make them the person that they thought that doing this thing would make them. Yes, And now they're like, Well, I have to do the next thing. No, 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 no. Like this is when you should actually be stepping back and figuring out why the hell are you doing that? Mm -hmm. And then more importantly, what would something that what would winning look like for you? Like they don't even have a clue other than trying to push this thing. Meanwhile, there's other spheres in their life, like their relationships or their physicality or their spirituality or their own edification that fall by the wayside. And now they are at the top of this mountain alone. I have a client that is very successful, divorced, and now they're in this place where they don't know if people that approach them romantically but potentially see them or they just see the successful entrepreneur. Yeah. This rich person. And now they're even
0: more guarded. And now they're even more pulled back. Yeah. So they close up more and take more of of the joy out of life by doing so. Right. The joy that is like literally right there but they can't experience it. They're afraid to
1: grasp it. And then when they have that side, that's like damned up Mm -hmm. and then they have other people that are essentially yes men. Mm -hmm. It's impossible for them to have a true North and understand what's really going on. There's no grounding. Yeah. And so that's what we do as coaches, right? Like sometimes what I say is not what they want to hear, but I can at least again, because I've been through these things, I can, we see it in other people. Mm hmm you see it if you have the skill or if you've been through it you can see it in somebody else it's the same way criminals can recognize other criminals it's the same way police officers can recognize a person that's a criminal it's the same reason why they say game recognizes grain like what you know whatever you want to say but we recognize that and once we do that once we are into that now we can be very aware of it so the people i talk to and they're like they're going through all this adversity they do it but then they don't understand that they're creating more adversity in the process of trying to circumvent what they're facing currently. Yeah. Well, so life it has, has this compounding, yeah, it's, it's compounding interest. So we have to be aware of those things. Mm-hmm. For me, the, the, the true gratitude that I found was, in my opinion, okay, this may sound crazy, but to me, genuine gratitude means you can be happy that something happened to you, even if it doesn't benefit you because you know that it benefits others. Mm -hmm. so for me they kept pushing our deployment back to Afghanistan and in my mind this would have happened this injury would have happened no matter where I was on the planet so had I been in Afghanistan Mm -hmm. because at that point I was just given a team I'm a team leader now so Mm -hmm. I'm responsible for these five guys if we were there for every one man that's injured in combat it takes two to pull into safety Mm -hmm. so if we've been outside the wire in a hot zone my team would have had to cover down another team, another battalion, another squad. There would have been a Chinook that would have had to come in to get us med back, right? Mm-hmm. And if you see any war movie, those are huge targets, right? That's right. So when I looked at that, what I found was I wasn't grateful that I was injured, but I was so grateful that nobody else was hurt. Yes. I was so grateful because there were 60 other people whose lives would have been put in harm's danger and harm's way. And I understand that. Like we put ourselves in danger. We understand that when we signed the contract. But mm-hmm. to me, to me, I had to find something, anything to be really grateful for.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And for me, that was it. And I remember actually saying almost like I was outside of myself. I remember saying, wow, I'm lucky. Not that I was lucky, but I was just grateful that nobody else was hurt. Yeah, And that... In my mind, it was probably the first time in my life that I actually had genuine 360 no bullshit gratitude. And like I break down, I start crying. And now I'm grateful for the people that take care of me. I'm grateful for the bed that I'm in. I'm grateful for the room that I may never leave. Yes. And that was the cornerstone. That was the beginning. That was the real no bullshit. Nothing else mattered because in that moment, I could breathe, I could have that choice, I could decide. And once i made that single decision about a week later i started getting a little bit of feeling back on my left hand mm-hmm. and um this is where it gets crazy once that started happening i started getting a little bit of feeling back on my right hand and all of a sudden man i had hubris it's like see i knew it <laughs> i knew this right and once i started having that arrogance and that hubris again because as soldiers, as warriors, we kind of have to have a little bit of a chip on our shoulder to go out there and do the things that we do. But we yeah, it, really function. it It does. I mean, it's 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 pragmatic for, for yeah. better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Having said that, when I got back into that place, I, I just stopped improving yeah. and I actually began to regress. And I actually, within two weeks, got back to exactly where I was before. And the only thing that had changed was the way I was looking at it, the way I was seeing it and i've seen a million different things and we understand physiology neurology i've heard some people say well obviously they misdiagnosed me some people say it's a miracle some people say well maybe that would have been what happened irrespective of what was going on i could have been in a coma for those months and then maybe that would have happened i don't know maybe Mm -hmm. but all i know is that doing what i did is what allowed me to begin to the process so when i got back to that place of rock bottom again and now i'm pissed off and i'm a victim and now i'm mad I went through the five stages again, but more quickly because I'd already been down this road. I stopped looking at the street, the steps, the things I did through moves ago and said, Okay, no bullshit. If I'm here, what can I do? Went yeah. back to those things. And eventually, after a couple of weeks of genuine, no bullshit gratitude again, I went back to that place. And then slowly, at a year and a half of occupational therapy and physical therapy, I got to a place where they were like, Listen, you can actually, you know, get up, ease and, open a door and pour a glass of water and fix food for yourself and actually be independent. And to me, like that was a big goal. Yeah, that's huge. And that was the beginning. So you're asking about what do I do or how do I think of this stuff? Mm -hmm. The gift from my adversity was like, I want to, there's three questions. And the three questions I ask people is, if you woke up tomorrow paralyzed from the neck down, What do you wish you would have accomplished with your life? Mm. Because that's where I was in that bed. Mm -hmm. And then ask yourself, what what regrets am I harboring? And then, is that serving me? And then finally, if by a miracle you were able to recover, how would you act differently? What would you do differently? What would you attack with vigor? What would you drop? What relationships would you cut out? What relationships would you create? How would you talk to yourself? Mm People talk about this idea of gratitude, but gratitude is a verb. Yeah. So if you're, if you're grateful for your wife or your spouse or your husband or whomever, they know it. They can tell. You don't even have to say it. They can tell by the way that you come in, the air that you carry, the energy that you breathe into them. And if you guys don't believe this, when somebody walks in the room and you feel all the air suck out of it, or when you see a person that comes in and they're pissed off, absolutely. They don't have to say they're angry. They don't have to say they're mad about something but you can just tell it's
0: obvious. Yeah, you can feel it. You can feel it in the room. There's there's a few things I want to highlight from what you talked about because I think it's it's spot on. It's, it's rang very true in my life recently, especially this idea of the 360 no bullshit gratitude or the unconditional gratitude where you can be as grateful for the shitty things in life as for the things that you prefer and that you would like to happen. And for me, one of the biggest things that I had... I started feeling grateful for a few years ago was actually the death of my mom. Realizing that that was the greatest gift of my entire life, as it has shaped me into who I am. And as I've been practicing this gratitude, this style of gratitude, it it had me realize something very interesting, which is I don't teach gratitude to clients and students or talk about it on my podcast because I think it's the right thing to do or because I think I'm morally superior for being grateful. <laughs> I talk about it because it yields an outcome or a reality that is much more preferable and is much more rich in meaning. Because when we express gratitude, when we live the verb of gratitude like you're talking about, the outcome of that is that life gives you more to be grateful for. So you became grateful for your breath, the people who are taking care of you. And suddenly feeling comes back in your hands then you, you get arrogant about it and it goes away. (laughs) It's like, that's just how it works. Like you, when you're grateful, life gives you more to be grateful for. When you are, when you, when we complain, life goes, okay, you like complaining. Here's more to complain about. And it puts people into this cycle. So I, I, I started looking at some people that, you know, when I'm talking to them and realizing like, oh, this is like a hobby for you to complain. <laughs> so no matter what I say or do, you're still going to find something. Cool. I respect it. I choose not to engage in that hobby. I, I will instead be in my gratitude because it brings a lot more fulfillment and meaning into my life and more to be grateful for ultimately. So that's one of the, one of the points that I think is really, really fascinating about the way that you were able to rebuild yourself starting with literally... Just gratitude, like gratitude for the smallest things—your breath, the people who are taking care of you. Now, like a little bit of movement here. Now, the the idea that these people are safe because you're here <laughs> in this bed, right? They they are protected in that instance. So, I think that that's that's really powerful. And the other thing that I think is really interesting is this idea of when people don't allow themselves to fully feel the feelings. In other words, they don't sit with it. They try to bypass it. It. I think it was uh, Dr. Jill Taylor, she, she talked about this, where your emotions, they essentially last 90 seconds, and anything after the 90 seconds is actually you just replaying the loop of the story. In other words, thinking about like, three steps ago, or th- like when we're doing that, we're just reliving it, reliving it, and we're not actually feeling anything. We're just in story. That prevents us from being able to have any kind of a healing or transform- transformative experience because we're just in the loop constantly. And the way that I've I've defined that in the work that I do is that that is the emotional debt that we have. In other words, we haven't processed those emotions, we haven't processed those incongruent narratives or stories about ourselves, so they stay with us. And every time we get triggered, it's actually like an interest charge on that emotional debt. And it's like, hey, this is here. Are you going to deal with it? Or are you just going to complain about the trigger? <laughs> are you going to give yourself the opportunity to set yourself free, or are you going to continue confirming this narrative? And continue living it. So I love everything that you're saying because it, it encapsulates fully feeling one's feelings and sitting with it, sitting with the discomfort. Because when you sit with it, the stories of what you have built yourself up to be start to fall away and you start to actually get to know yourself for the first time. And then the gratitude, this 360, no bullshit, unconditional gratitude for everything really brings us back into this place. So I, I think it's incredibly inspiring And fascinating the way you've used some of these concepts to bring yourself, and then those questions, like if you got paralyzed from the neck down, what would you have wanted to accomplish, or what what regrets are you harboring? What would you do if you got it all back? Like, what would you attack with vigor? And that is fucking powerful, man. Thank you for that. I I
1: hope it serves somebody. It it's the truth. It's just, and we need. Here's the thing. Humans don't change without some sort of adversity Mm -hmm. um we, we try to change but it's the ultimate like motivation oh yeah and and i hate the fact that it takes us often to get to some sort of ground zero or some sort of like rock bottom but understand that how do i say this understand that if you're waiting for something bad to happen for you to take action you're literally trying to manifest those things Hmm. Yeah, you're bringing them. You're calling them in. You're calling them in. And when you do that, it's usually much more than what you expected. And at that point, now adversity starts to demand things from you that you never wanted to be on the table, but yet you don't have a choice. Because you're in it. You were talking about, yeah, and you were talking about people that love to complain. I agree. There are plenty of people that are not happy unless they're mad. Right.
0: That's who they and you're are, like, right? oh, like, this this is a hobby for you. I got th- it. Yeah.
1: Cool. This, this is just who you are. <laughs> right. And that's who, and that's what is that? That's the narrative. They paint themselves into a corner intellectually with that. So even if they were feeling good and they put something out on social media and say, hey, blah, blah, blah. And then people are like, you know, coming down to just like hammering them. It's like, hey, motivational speakers, c- keep it down over there. It's like, they <laughs> really kind of d- destined. This is what they're doing. But the beauty of, of gratitude is that. In order for me to be grateful, I first have to accept it, mm-hmm. and that's the the shortcut, so to speak. Because in order to get to this place over here of accept of of gratitude, I have to go through all the five stages: anger, I mean, um denial, anger, you know, um bargaining, depression, mm-hmm. and finally acceptance. And then once I'm in acceptance, now I can decide: do I want to go north, south, east, or west here?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And now you have. A, again you're you're taking that control, you're choosing your own destiny. That's, That's right. That if we don't do that, then again, we're continually, like you said, well, this person did that, or this person said this, or I was triggered by this. It's like if you are waiting for a life that does not have something that pushes back against you, oneness, not the kind of life that you want because you live in this very sterile environment that was completely boring, and you would bitching and complain that there was nothing different mm-hmm. or you would be in this environment where it was so Mundane and pedestrian, like Groundhog Day, where yes. you would bitch about the fact that you had the luxuries that you currently have. Oh yeah. So the people, so the people that I find that are bitching the most about what they have in their life are the ones that don't actually appreciate what they do have. Correct. So if you're bitching about not having freedom, well, that tells me that you're not exercising a lot of the freedoms that you do have. Mm-hmm. It's if very true about.
0: Yeah, there, there's one thing I'm I'm very curious your perspective of so. The the whole movement of the work that I'm doing now is transforming into something new, and it is this idea of serving from an overflowing cup. And ultimately what that means is when I think about the example that you used earlier about the really successful business person who can't seem to feel gratitude for what they've done, and like they're like, oh, okay, I guess I just got to go start the next thing. So this idea of serving from an overflowing cup, it is to fill one's cup emotionally to the point where it's overflowing so that you can't help but contribute to other people. Like the natural result is that you just do. It's the whole living a life where you are truly putting your mask on first and filling your own cup emotionally speaking. And oftentimes what I've noticed is that when people Go into desires of the mind, which are typically desires that they've adopted that are not genuine to them, but they think they should want this. Like I should want the fancy car, I should want you know the the multi million dollar corporation where I'm running everything and like being like the top dog. A lot of people I f- I find adopt these shoulds in terms of their their desires rather than like what what genuinely nourishes their soul. So what I'm curious about is for you how do you fill your own cup emotionally speaking like how do you show up in the world in a way that cuz i know i i can tell by the person that you are and by our conversations that you have ways of doing this and i have mine and i think they're they're all they're very unique to each individual person but we all have ways of really filling ourselves up so that we have something to give so what do you like to do to fill your own cup so to speak
1: so zen concept i love that first of all um and here's what i would like to say before we address the specifics um so i can either get a larger cup mm-hmm. right a lot of us don't have that luxury or a bigger plate i i don't want necessarily want to do that mm-hmm. here's the way i look at it is this i want the contents in my cup to mm-hmm. be so condensed mm-hmm. And so strong and so powerful that it allows me the luxury to overflow so that I don't have to pour an entire cup's worth onto a person or a thing or a movement or an environment. I can just do like these small droplets Mm -hmm. and still maintain myself without feeling like I'm pulling away from that. Mm -hmm. And if you are trying to steep tea, what do we have to do? We put the best quality tea bag that we can in there and we put it in the cup and then what do we do? We wait. We right. sit and we wait. And we wait. And we allow it to strengthen it get stronger. I'm not trying to stir it. I'm not trying to add stuff to it. I'm not trying to shake the cup. I'm not checking it on every five minutes. I'm just allowing that thing to steep. If we can sit with our emotions, sit with what really matters to us. Sit with what our true priorities are. Not the things that we claim to, like you said, not not trying to chase these external things that other people are doing, whether it be a shiny object whatever that is, by actually pouring into my cup and letting it condense and get really powerful, I realize one that what comes out of me is much more profound, much more impactful. Mm -hmm. More importantly, it allows me to enjoy that process even more so it builds in more of this aggressive sort of patience towards what we're trying to work towards. For me, uh, we we talked before we hit record, Um, my wife and I were out in the mornings in the sun 45 minutes an hour every day, walking the dogs, it's our non-negotiable, but it also gives us that ability to get up at the same time, Mm -hmm. have a a ritual, go outside, um, talk about the day. What's her day look like? What's mine look like? Kind of clean the decks. She's an entrepreneur as well. She owns her own business. So being an entrepreneur and married to an entrepreneur, very difficult to find that, but when you can, it's fantastic when it works together. And then we dovetail into these these places so i'm outside getting sun walking cardio conversation spend time with the dogs everybody wins right
0: yeah yeah it's a beautiful um, way to start today it's very similar to mine like we were talking about,
1: which which i like yeah.
0: yeah it's key um
1: i'm trying to i'm to a place now where i'm trying to actually hack away and not ingest as much stuff mm-hmm. so instead of listening to a bunch of podcasts or a bunch of other content I'm actually either trying to read something by hand, Mm -hmm. manually, analog, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and actually just be completely present and understanding and accepting it. Um, I talk about Octa nonverba, right? It's it's Latin for actions, not words. In today's society, so many people want, they think that more is better. Mm -hmm. But you and I understand that anything in excess becomes its opposite. Yes. That's just the reality. 100%. So if, so if more money, more information, more food were the answer, we would have a
0: society that has a six-pack, and they'd all be multimillionaires.
1: And that's clearly not the not the. Six
0: Correct. Million. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I love your metaphor with, you know, the steeping of the, qual, the like the higher quality tea and like the steeping of these higher quality experiences and sitting with them, especially like moving from like an audio way of ingesting a book into going back to like a paper book. Actually, sitting with it and reading it, and realize that I realized this the spirit of what you're saying a few months ago when I was listening to audiobooks on two times speed, and I'm like, "What the fuck am I doing right now? Like, what, <laughs> what, for what purpose am I trying to stuff myself with this information?" <laughs> and because I remember the Zen the, the the Zen proverb, which is, you know, if you seek uh, knowledge, add something every day. If you seek wisdom, subtract something every day. There it is. That that's absolutely it. And with the book, to me,
1: it's—I mean, I'm 51, so I'm an older guy. I grew up before the internet, and I kind of stepped into it. But to me, having that tactile capacity to feel the words, um, this is my—you know—it's like a. This is one that's signed by Steve, mm-hmm. so this is one that I—I I don't read. I like—I try to keep it, you know, mm-hmm. right. i want it's to be nice. me. <laughs> but but the one that I have, it's like my first one, like it's beat to shit, like yeah. it's dog ear, just got yellow green highlights like stuff yeah. in the margins. But that's what it needs to be. It needs to be this workbook. Every mm-hmm. book that you read should be a workbook. You should be working on that. Mm-hmm. So um there's a client that I've had for almost four years now. Great. I mean am- amazing guy. And uh Hal Alrod's morning miracle was like mm-hmm. his his everything initially. And then within the second year of working with him like we started in january and we're projecting everything i was like this is your year where we create your routine your <laughs> specific set of things that really work for you we quadruple down on the shit that works and we get rid of the stuff that does isn't serving you and of course there was a little bit of like pullback a little resistance you know mm-hmm. well this has been working i was like i, I get that but I guarantee that if we can do the work and do that right, ask the right questions, we can make what you're doing now look obsolete by comparison. Oh, yeah. And we can cut the amount of work in half and vicariously double the output just by doing that Mm -hmm. and then have this, this courageous curiosity to move into these other things. And at first there was some pushback, and then I was like, okay, if we can only do three of these things, what would they be? And then, what does that look like? And it's like, what is something else you've been wanting to do? And then eventually it becomes this thing. I'm 51, so I talk about you know phases and seasons of our lives, but there are phases and seasons of everything that we're doing. So -hmm. you have to understand that you may have this sprinting mentality for like two or three months. Mm -hmm. If we're in business, we're talking about quarters, right? If we're talking about launch, if we're talking about different things, we understand that we have to upload. Like upfront load, front load, a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily have to be like that forever. it It's not sustainable to do it consistently like that, or if it is, we have to take measures to change the business plan or team, whatever it is to make sure these things are done. Having said that, a lot of times people will feel like, okay, if I read this book, that will be the thing. It's like, no, I would challenge everybody here. There's probably two or three things like if I asked you, like, what's the quote that you can think of right now that punched you in the face and like made you step back and go? damn that's powerful or make you say damn that's true or man it feels like they were talking to me or mm. a quote where you're like man i want to write something like that yeah it could be him way. it can be anybody right think about that thing write that thing down in the morning when you wake up before you pick up your phone write that thing down say it out loud and then say to yourself okay throughout my day how can i see adversity as a gift mm. where are these opportunities And then at the end of the day remind yourself of it go to sleep forget about it do that for a week and in that seven day time you will have more knowledge more mastery of that skill it's like doing an arm bar Mm -hmm. once you know how to do an arm bar you see it everywhere that's right so the idea is now you start seeing this idea of again everybody wants to be grateful when things are good but when things are bad now all of a sudden this is not what i want we get to be grateful for adversity long before it arrives because if we do not have this mentality and this skill set affixed to us beforehand, mm-hmm. it's too late. That's right. I can't hope to. I can't hope to learn umma palata <laughs> in the heat of a roll if I'm not really sure how
0: to do it. That's that's not the time where it's, <laughs> where that learning is going to come through. That's, that's not, gonna, it's too late at that point. It yeah, like, um, yeah, you. It, this reminds me. There's um. So the way that I practice this, I actually ask the exact same question every single day, mm-hmm. and I ask it when things are good. Things are not good. I ask myself the question, how did life come to be so perfect? Why is life so perfect? And by asking that question, it presupposes the belief that life is perfect. But because I ask, now I'm training my mind to look for all the evidence to prove that to me. And yeah, so I ask that. Activity system. Yeah. I ask that as my. Uh, way of practicing the unconditional no bullshit 360 gratitude because yeah. it's all perfect
1: it, it is and if nothing else like you said it gives us ownership and it gives us this they always say nobody's coming to save us mm-hmm. and that's the truth what I found from my injury is the moment that I stopped waiting for somebody to come save me Is when i found the strength to save myself that's right and you will never get there any other way buddhism anything they talk about this notion of nobody can walk the path for you nobody can do the work for you Mm -hmm. and the reality is even when you get to a place where you have a breakthrough like you take care of one adversity that's like the superficial one Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's like all this other stuff and the other thing is we are all going to go through hardship we are all going to go through Unchosen adversity. Just make peace with that. Just acknowledge it. If you're on a path and you don't encounter adversity, don't be surprised. You should
0: be surprised when you're not facing adversity because it's like, oh yeah, yeah. I, and I get I get chills when you say that because I, to me, that's one of the reasons why I believe I've incarnated as a human being. Why everybody's incarnated as a human being? Because it's not that. Oh no, I feel sad. Oh no, I feel angry. It's not no, no. I get to feel all of these things. I get to feel sad. I get to feel angry. Cause if you, I don't know if you've ever done this experiment, maybe you have, but I, it was inspired by Alan Watts. But if I ever thought of myself as like, what would I do if I were God? If I were eternal, omnipresent, all powerful, everything is certain all the time, probably get bored and want the opposite of all those things. So maybe I come back as a sensitive, impermanent organism, just trying to figure it out. And <laughs> no. so I get to feel all of these things, I get to have the adversity because if I were some eternal being, I wouldn't get to have that. So I get to have it now.
1: That, that's it. And and the way that we conduct ourselves in the heat of adversity is an indication of how we will do everything else. So true. It's very true. So if you're a leader and you are not good under pressure, your team will not be good under pressure. If you're the person who does not have grace, they will not have grace. So understanding that. It gives you this higher standard. And I don't mean it in an arrogant way, but I mean that like going through adversity and conquering it once is fine, but understand that it will continue. And knowing that it never gets easier makes it easier. Mm-hmm. Because now you're <laughs> well, just like this enough. is this is par for the course, exactly. Like this is what's supposed to happen. Um in, in the military, they always say that the first plan never survives contact, the first bullets. Like mm-hmm. Tyson, nobody, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. That's the truth. And so people that are spending so much time planning in the military, they call it the 70% rule. And it's like, we have the, the outcome, we have this, and we plan 70% of it because we know the last 25 to 30% will change. Mm-hmm. If I'm given a target and I'm told X is going on and we're trying to assault through this and now the weather changes, that's different. Mm-hmm. Oh. We just got intel. By the way, there's a lot more people there than we thought. Mm -hmm. Changes. Oh, uh, turns out the high value target that we were going after, now they may not be there now. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we have to learn to pivot to adapt. Does it mean that we cancel the operation or that we don't try to get to the art goal? Not necessarily, but it means that we have the ability to adapt. But when we're so rigid, and we have this plan and it has to be exactly this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, Mm -hmm. and then we. It puts us in this place where now we're afraid to step in because we're like, well, what happens? Yeah. Just take the first fucking step. Take that step and all of a sudden you'll see that, oh, that will give you more intel and real time knowledge of what's going on than anything you could do on a computer or on a whiteboard or talking to somebody else trying to plan something out. Get out there, step into it and you're going to fall down. Make peace with the idea that you're going to fall down.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Churchill, right? When I was 20, I worried about what everybody thought about me when I was 40. I stopped worrying about what people thought about me. When I was sixty, I realized that nobody thought about me. You know, like that's the parallel. Busy thinking about themselves. Yeah, they're everybody's self-absorbed, and that's fine. We're all that way, and that's okay. So if you fall down, nobody's looking, and if they are looking, they don't really care. And if they do care enough to make a comment to you, then it shows you that they're not out the man in the arena. They're not out there trying to do stuff. They're in they're the safe in the place. They're
3: right. <laughs> in. The, they're,
1: that's it. And people like you and I, like the people that I. That I know and the people I've respected and then got to know,
3: mm-hmm.
1: they're not shitting on people. They're not breaking people down. They're not talking about what they've done incorrectly. They're, as a matter of fact, even their own mistakes. They'll tell you about them to help you, but mm-hmm. they will never dwell
0: on them. Right. Yeah. They're, they're at not, Olympic, they're seeking a sympathy, but they're showing you like, hey, I've been there too. It's okay. That's
1: it. It's it's part of the human condition. So, if you're in this place where you're not facing adversity you're in it right now mm-hmm. the adversity that you're facing right now is omnipresent, and it's called mediocrity
3: mm-hmm.
1: and you're just willfully in this bliss of ignorance you're living this life of quiet desperation you may not feel it now but if your life is exactly the same over the next three years as it was now and now you're making these compromised decisions and that becomes your default you're going to compromise on the people you hang around with, the relationship you engage in, potentially the person that you choose as a mate, the the father or son of your child, the father or um mother of your child, whatever that may be. And now you're in this place where because you made this one decision, this one adversity that you were not strong enough to face, now you're continually having to repeat the cycle over and over again, and every time you face it, it comes back stronger.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Every time. There's a have you read um already free no, I haven't. You need to check it out. There's an analogy in there where he says, um, It's a Zen practitioner in psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And he has this analogy. And he said, For so many people, and I think of adversity this way, but it's this is an analogy. He says, For so many people, they take this hardship and they push it to the side. Mm-hmm. And then they face it again, they push it to the side. But if you do that with adversity long enough, eventually I'm just revolving my entire existence around this singular thing that i'm continually trying to go around yes it becomes the center of my fucking universe and it informs everything that i do and com- and makes me compromise and everything else that i'm trying to do mm. and until i get through that thing until i face it until i step into it i will never ever go beyond it and after you've gone through it you'll look back and you'll say that wasn't nearly as difficult as I thought it was. Why didn't I do that sooner?
0: Yeah, that's that's always the the reaction that we have in those moments, man. It's so it's it's so fascinating how that how that happens, and how if you just face it, if you just embrace what's there in front of you, then you'll have the growth, you'll have the fulfillment. And you won't have to keep dealing with it because you've chosen to be present with it. So I got I got two last questions for you before we wrap up. The first one is if people want to know more about your work where can they find you where can they check you out and learn more about what you do absolutely thank you um
1: they can go to com. they can go to on linkedin on marcusrealesandersson on uh, instagram um they can find my ted talk you just go to youtube and put in the get to adversity i'll probably be the first one that comes up if they enjoy the ted talk the book the get to adversity is available on amazon and I'm I'm a coach is very much who I, I kind of like to feel that I am. I'm a coach that's a speaker that that writes books. Um my next book, The Gift of Adversity, I'm sorry, the first book is the gift of adversity, the second book is Octanon Verba. It'll be out soon. And then I'll be also be releasing the apparel line for Octon as well. Awesome, man. And um if you guys haven't seen Octanon Verba, I've got the Zen circle with the Octanon Verba with a Latin font. So it's very similar to yours where it's like. To me philosophy is simply knowledge that is acquired in different times in different regions so we see so many people saying similar things so to me if you see enough truth continually overlapping that's something you should look at because that's something that's going to empower you it's not going to have any dogmas to try to sell you something Mm -hmm. and that's the goal like it should empower and it should cast the chains away from us not give us something else to be stuck within Mm -hmm. and then. Arrest our development in those capacities.
0: Very much so. I, I agree with that. And I, I'm definitely looking forward to that apparel. I'll I'll be getting some of that merch. <laughs> oh, awesome, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. And my last question is so so these these interviews, the reason why I do them and I take them outside of the context of Zen and Stoic, because Zen Stoic philosophy points to liberation, but the philosophy itself is not liberation, simply the mechanism that we use to point towards it. And so, my question to you is: What does it mean to you to live a liberated life? To me, liberation is freedom, and to live a life of freedom means
1: I do what I want, when I'm with, with who I want, whenever. Period. it So that means I build all the spheres that allow me to have whatever bandwidth, financially, time-wise, spiritually, emotionally, presence-wise, to do those things. If I'm not doing that, then I'm living on somebody else's time, or I'm doing it for something else. And there are times for that. But if you're talking about true freedom, that means that I can actually sit down and shut up. I can actually meditate and allow my mind to do whatever it needs to do and get to this place. It means that I have the capacity to pick my wife up and say, hey, let's go to Europe. Mm -hmm. And we can give ourselves that time, have the money to do it, have the freedom to do those things. I, I love Zen. I love Taoism. I love Stoicism. I love all these philosophies. But like you were saying, my knowledge, Is informed from those things, but it comes from my real life experience. And in my experience, uh, I recently spoke at so I spoke at StoicCon twenty twenty one virtually, and I was actually on the Stoic Plato's Academy as as a panelist for them on Stoicism and resilience. But what I find is some people look at philosophy; they don't do this necessarily. But some people look at philosophies like they do to religion. And so, if you say you're Stoic, you're not. There's going to be some people that say you're not stoic enough. (laughs) And if you say that you're into Zen, they're going to say, well, you're not Zen enough. Or they're going to try to point out these areas where there's flaws. If you look at those areas where there are flaws, it's not the philosophy, it's the person. Mm -hmm. We follow principles, not people, because principles are resolute and people are erroneous and usually they aren't even aware of it. That's right. So I'm not perfect. I've... Wrote the gift of adversity. I've I've spoke all over the world on it. I've got the TEDx on it. Yet I still face adversity every day. Lots of times it's self chosen. I'm intentionally trying to embrace some sort of adversity and seek it out to make me better. Mm -hmm. But there are times when it hits me when I don't see it. It catches me off guard. I'm ambushed by it, and I still have to catch myself and step back and breathe, and say, "Okay, where am I at now? What am I going to do now? How am I going to move forward in a courageous manner?" And if we're having this warrior ethos as part of our existence, we have to have it within us so quickly, again, just like a counter. If the person's going for the single, I have to be able to sprawl. I have to cross face. Yeah. I don't say, "Oh, I should sprawl that's oh, too late. Yeah. I already got the legs. ankle pick me on down. So we have to drill these things. So every moment that we face adversity is an opportunity to work on this skill. Whether it be physical, whether it be emotional, whether it be spiritual or financial, once we understand that, then we understand that adversity—it hates us, but it hates only the weak part of us. Mm-hmm. Pain is the comfort of the best teachers. Embrace it, learn from it, so that you don't want to learn the lesson again. But if you don't, again, the two ways correctly, and again,
0: that's how you deal with adversity. Beautiful. Choose, Marcus. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. This was amazing. I look I love forward it. to connecting more and getting some of that Acta verba merch. <laughs> I appreciate it's that. Thank you. Sir. Nice All right. You, Thank you. Thank you for having me.